0: Hi there, I'm Catherine, and I'm here because I want to tell you about another fantastic show from Podomo, the people who brought you the list of absolutely everything that might kill you. Where's Home Really sets out to discover what home means to famous faces from the worlds of TV, music, comedy, food, and beyond. It's hosted by Jimmy Famarewa, who you may have seen on MasterChef, and his guests have included Nadia Hussein, Charlene White, and Babatunde Aleshe, to name just a few. In this episode, Jimmy meets chef, author and broadcaster Andy Oliver. Their wide-ranging conversation takes in Adele, cultural appropriation, Jamie Oliver's jerk Rice and the time Andy accidentally joined a punk band. It really is a brilliant listen and I'm just a tiny bit jealous that you're about to hear it for the very first time. So if you liked the list of absolutely everything that might kill you, enjoy this episode brought to you by Podimo.
1: Yes, we are back. Welcome to a brand new series of Where's Home Really? with me, Jimmy Famarewa. This is the show where I get to speak to people from the world of music and media, food, arts and culture about what makes them who they are. I am excited that our first series has won a Best Interview Podcast Award at the prestigious British Podcast Awards. Just get that one in there. Thank you to all of those who have been on this journey so far and hello to any newcomers. You are all very welcome, kick your shoes off, squeeze up on the sofa. I'll be exploring what gives my guests that feeling of belonging and solidified identity by asking each of them about four key elements. Those are a person, a place, a phrase and a plate. Now, for me, one of them would be, and this is quite specific to my family, powdered like instant pancake mix and the maple syrup derivative, once known as Aunt Jemima, that wrapped up in a suitcase would be mulled across continents from, you know, my fancy American relatives and it would be the most precious thing in the world when, like, an uncle would arrive with this thing from this incredible world it really really evokes that sense of bringing a gift of generosity and also how many different cultures have impacted the way my family eats the way we live the way we kind of try to share things with each other and that spirit of generosity so that would be the one for me even though these days i'm far too bougie to use powdered pancake mix i just make my own of course so anyway, that is something that I really cherish and definitely gives me a sense of home. But what about my first guest to kick off this new series?
0: We have this modern thing about cultural appropriation because we do appropriate. Of course we do. Like you remember when everybody gave Adele a really hard time when she had her hair in little yeah, yeah, knots? Yeah, yeah. The girl grew up in Tottenham. Yeah. All her mates look like that. Leave her yeah. alone, let her yeah. do yeah. what she wants to do <laughs> to her hair. <laughs>
1: Today's guest is a chef, presenter, author and lapsed punk singer. Um, She began her career as a musician performing in a variety of bands during the 1980s before turning her hand to presenting in the 90s. She has hosted television and radio programmes and documentaries for the BBC, the British Council, ITV and Channel 4 and has just launched Stirring It Up, her own podcast with her daughter and fellow presenter, Makita Oliver. These days, however, she is perhaps best known as the host of the hugely popular cooking competition, Great British Menu. She has since returned to her early passion for cooking, and this year released her first book, The Pepper Pot Diaries, Stories from My Caribbean Table. She is always, to me, an irresistible combination of eloquent thoughtfulness and straight-talking mischief. (laughs) (laughs) A huge welcome to today's guest, Andy Oliver.
0: Hello, that's so nice. How
1: about that? For an intro, I added in that last bit myself at the last moment. (laughs) Because I just think that is you. And like, you know, I'm kind of hearing that laugh. I'm grinning already.
0: There's something about you. You feel like a cousin. Like, you just remind (laughs) me of so many people that are kind of the building blocks of my life.
1: Are you quite conscious of that? in your work on great british menu mm-hmm. going on saturday kitchen things like this of being a conduit for kind of these ideas and, and also taking up space and yes. kind of being kind of visibly yes who you oh, are yes i am
0: mm. conscious of it mm. I, I could not be conscious yeah. of it you know because yeah. there's not many of me around are yeah, there yeah yeah
2: yeah
0: um so i am conscious of it but i take joy in it mm. i don't it doesn't feel like a weight mm. it feels like a, a an opportunity and again i've this is the third time i've used the word privilege and it gets on my nerves that word these days <laughs> because <laughs> it's very overused, yeah. but it does feel like a... A precious thing yeah. that I'm I'm afforded this space that I've ta- that I've made people give me this space yeah. actually yeah. That I take up this space that I uh, inhabit this space yeah. that I can talk about. You know when they first asked me to host Great British Menu, I said no.
1: Yes, I remember you you spoke about this yeah. because you
0: because I felt like it was really important that there was a woman of colour a mm. a woman yeah. a woman of colour yeah. and a woman my age yeah. in a position of authority yeah. of authority in the culinary world talking about food from all all over the world in all sorts of different ways. And I think that that is a precious thing. Holding power. Holding power power Mm. and having voice Mm. and being respected Mm. and having these conversations Mm. with all of these dudes and all of these people who Mm. perhaps have a narrower lens sometimes about food excellence and Mm. where the beauty lies, you know. I take it very seriously Mm. and I celebrate it and I love it.
1: I always kick off by, you know, flipping the title of the show back to uh, my mm. guest and, and just getting, you know, a temperature check on their reaction to that question. Mm. Where's home really? Where are you really from? This must be something. We mentioned the Pepper Pot Diaries there, mm. and, I, and I wonder to what extent it became part of your journey of unpacking with that. What is your initial response?
0: I think my initial response is home really is in my heart. There is something about coming from a diasporic people where you learn that you you carry home. Mm. Home is not necessarily a tangible place that you sit in. My parents certainly carried home within Mm. them. And you see that as a child growing up. You can see, and when they talk about home, their faces would transform. For somebody who has the heritage that I have, and I guess anybody who's from a migrant or diasporic people will understand that thing of home being something that you carry in you because mm. it protects you
1: yeah, yeah and it
0: propels you yeah through the next bit of your journey, yeah. you know, knowing that you are umbilically linked
2: yeah. to this yeah, other yeah, place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is the thing that keeps you going. And mm. even as a first generation Caribbean person born here, I still talk about home. Yeah. Like I grew up there. I'm from <laughs> Suffolk. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But when I say home, I mean Antigua. I don't yeah. mean Barry St. Edmunds. Yeah, I mean Antigua. Yeah, yeah.
1: You were a forces child and yes. your dad worked for the RAF, wasn't yes, it? Yes. My dad was in the RAF, yeah. And so that straight away calls into question this notion of home being like one single place yes. and that notion of moving around. But also, it's I true. imagine when you talk about your dad being this different persona or different person and having this lightness that was kind of foreign to you. I imagine he was as you're suggesting there a man of kind of rigour and discipline and things like that. He was
0: like very that. authoritarian. Mm. He was a bit of something of a bully. The good things he did in my life were teach me how to cook mm. and music. He had the most incredible music collection wow. and he was a real kind of yeah. bon vivant gourmand. Mm. He'd love to cook. You know he's one of those every single pot, every single yeah, thing. Make yeah. to 25 things and you know I realized there were so many things about him that I have in common with him. Mm. And I found that very difficult to reconcile because I don't I didn't really like him. And I realized I'm like the good things about mm. him. And mm. and that gave me a real release and a yeah. real liberation, yeah. actually, because I realized that what I've done is take the things from him that were of value. We should talk about your place. What place are you gonna go for? It's Pigeon Point, which is Pigeon Beach, which is in English Harbour in Antigua. Oh, it's not even that big a beach. Mm. My cousin used to have a beach bar there. Mm. Oh, it's just when I think about it, I get like goosebumps mm. and almost a tear in my eye oh, well. in a way because I I yearn for it. Yes, yeah. She had this little beach bar it was literally a shack mm. with a little barbecue and we would do chicken on there and oh, there was wow. a little fridge with Red Stripe. <laughs>
1: Done. Was that always obvious to you that oh no this is where i belong you talk about going there as a teenager was it kind of always very apparent
0: i think so you know so i got there when i was 16 antigua Mm. and i had well two things first i'd never been in a country that was predominantly black
1: Mm. Mm. so
0: that was a shock to my system and it was a good shock but it was really like wow yeah
1: yeah he's
0: black this is amazing (laughs) but the thing that blew my mind the most was walking up the road and this woman said to me hey you And I looked at her and she said, you must be a prince. Prince is my family name, right? My mum's family name. And I went, what, how do you know that? And she said, because of how you walk. Wow. So when we, the women in my family, we call it um, parrot foot in Antigua, (laughs) it's being pigeon toed. So we all walk like with our feet turned in. Right. And our bum's sticking up in the air a little bit. (laughs) And she said, "Because of how you walk." And I said, "How I walk?" She went, "Look at you—a two-parrot foot." And I was like, "Oh my goodness!" And, and then she said, "Which one are you?" And I said, "Me?" She went, "I went to school with Maria, oh, wow, and wow. it was this lady." So
1: that—that that smallness as well, and that I kind of community never, and
0: connection you know, It blew my mind. The mm. idea that somebody can know which family I came from mm. because of the fact that my feet were turned, because of how I walked past <laughs> it. She went, "You must be a prince." And then it was carnival, and I was in my grandma's house on St John Street in. St. St. John's in Antigua, which is the capital. Yes. And then we went down to Pigeon Beach and Pigeon was the first beach I went to in Antigua and right. I just fell in love with it yeah, completely yeah. irrevocably yeah. and forever. Yeah. And it's almost like the first thing I do when I get to Antigua. I love it there. There's a simplicity to it that speaks to... It helps me breathe.
1: Yeah. Imagining you as a 16-year-old there mm. and having this defining eye-opening yeah. incredible experience incredible. And so many the, things going one, on
0: it was the first time also I didn't feel other
1: mm, well I was going to say that how do we contrast that with what you were experiencing in, in Barry St Edmunds, in Edmunds in well I was 1970s. the only black
0: girl in my school in Barry St Edmunds not the year in the school mm. you know and it was a mm. big like low county upper school it was yeah. a great big you know comprehensive yeah. school some of it was you know tortured by people constantly mm. racist nasty mm. crap it was the 70s yeah. I would say it's before they turned the lights on in the country, <laughs> it was grim. It was grim a lot of the time. So getting to this place and that, I wouldn't. I wouldn't come back. My mm. dad. I stayed. I stayed for months and months right. and months. Right. Wow. Months.
1: So when you were sixteen, had yeah. you finished school? Or well,
0: I didn't really finish school. Right. I got to the point where I was legally allowed to stop going, mm. and I just stopped going. Mm. I barely took my exams. Yeah. I was already done. I don't like people telling me what to do anyway. Mm. I liked yeah. it even less when I was sixteen. Yeah. You know, like you remember, you used to have. Career careers teachers. Mm. I don't know if they still have it. And I went and saw my careers teacher and they said, oh, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be an actress. Mm. And she said, don't be ridiculous. And she told me that there was a job at the Teller factory up the road. And I was like, I'm not going to work in the Teller factory. I mean, if you (laughs) want to do that, good on you. But I was not into it, right? And I went home and my mother was livid. My mum's a teacher.
2: Yes, yeah. And my
0: mother was absolutely incandescent with rage that this woman had told me that I couldn't do something. Right. And luckily for me, my mum has always been like that. She taught me to have no put no ceiling on myself yeah. and to have no boundaries yeah. and to, you know to just I don't literally have no boundaries
2: no filter
1: <laughs>
0: at all in <laughs> many ways in many yeah, many yeah. ways might, some of which might have,
1: might have interpreted that lesson differently some of
0: which have worked out for the good <laughs> <laughs> some have been a bit dodgy. but she taught me to reach for what I want yeah and to not imagine that I can't do things mm. because somebody else tells me not yeah. to so uh, you know I very soon after that I left Bury anyway and, mm. and came, I think I came back from Antigua and came to live in London.
1: right so it was that kind of like I was already that in that London instant. quite
0: a bit and then I went to Antigua with my dad and then I came back mm. and that was that
1: yeah you mentioned their music talked about wanting to be an actress and I can hear it now that your love and delight in words and language yeah. and phrasing and stuff, that seems to be quite an important component and true line, and it's there in your work now. And, and so I want to lock in on your phrase that you're going to go for.
0: I'm going to, well, there's two things. The first thing is soul food. Like I just said it to you and I get like, mm. yeah, it's like I get yeah, an internal yeah. little warmth thing yeah. like kicks off because The idea that food feeds your soul and not just your belly is central to the way that I live, actually. People associate the term soul food with black diasporic cooking, and to me, Bangers and mash is also soul food. So, if I'm in Poland, I want to know what their soul food is. When I meet somebody, if I can talk to them about the food that they yearn for, the food Mm. that they want when they're happy, the food that Mm. they want when they're sad, when they're joyful, that central thing Mm. can lead us to friendship. It leads us to humanity. It leads us to a kind of opening up of the heavens. And you can kind of rise through conversation and connection. And you can meet someone who you have nothing else in common with. But you can understand why they want a lobby if you're from (laughs) Stoke-on-Trent or whatever it is you're talking about, you know, because that one dish, that thought, that thing is core to our humanity. Mm, mm. And so the idea... When people talk about soul food, I feel like it's like a caress. Yeah. So soul food is that. And then the second one is one word, and that word is auntie. (laughs) And I... (laughs) Love being an auntie, yeah. you know, like, and I don't just mean my brother's kids. Yeah. I mean all the people that have grown with my daughter, Mm. all the younger people that I meet Mm. who now call me auntie. (laughs) I love it so much. Like me and Nana. Nana's my best friend. I'm talking about Nana Cherry. She's my best mate. And we were at Carnival a few years back. Neither of us drink very much anymore. Mm. Carnival, don't have the energy. And we had our like weird like pear champagne or whatever. (laughs) And we were sitting on these like funny deck chair things outside her house. And she looked at me and she went, how did this happen? And I just... One minute we were like out in carnival, running up and down, running wild. And next thing, we're the aunties. But it's like, I feel so proud yeah. to have reached this moment. Auntie
1: status. Auntie
0: status. Certified. Yeah. Certified auntie. Like when they get the boys coming and the girls coming in carnival or whenever it is, and they're like, is it ready? And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. The food, right? And they're like, oh, auntie, man, are you making chicken? And I feel so connected to this like centuries old tradition. Mm of you reach a point in your life and in your world mm. where you can embrace the younger people around yeah. you. And it just yeah. feels like a privilege yeah. and in I, the and most I, beautiful way. Yeah, and
1: mean? I guess in a weird sort of way, I'm, I'm so with you, two incredible choices that feel beautifully connected as well like I've been thinking about uncles as well mm. like you know I kind of you know as, as a, you know, somebody that's like you know getting older about to turn 40 getting your first there, when you get called <laughs> uncle yeah, it's yeah. like oh god yep, yep. but you know you embrace it and I don't think it's necessarily just about age and mm. I think about that nurturing that mm-hmm. that auntie quality and I think and it's stuff, also like...
0: about embracing my own wisdom mm. you know and understanding that I have gathered quite a lot of wisdom yeah. over the years yeah. I turned 60 this year yes. so it's a very contemplative year I yeah, think you know it's yeah. a real moment you know the yeah. different sort of um, moments that you hit in your life I'm like "Hmm."
1: how did you approach it was there was there an evolution in the way in which I just
0: I feel like I've just been sort of slowly rolling towards Mm. it and Mm. now I feel like I'm standing up in it tall and it feels good it feels like a good place to be you know because A I'm still alive and I'm grateful for that because I've lost quite a lot of people along the way obviously Mm. at this point in my life Mm. and there's something about reaching 60 where you do get like a retrospective you start to look back Mm. And you start and I'm looking at all the things that I've done and places I've been and things I've kind of gathered in my soul. Yeah. And knowledge and what I want to do more of and what I want to do next. So it feels like a really kind of powerful place Mm. to be. All my life people have said to me, You're a very powerful Mm. woman and I never really oh what are you talking about? (laughs) <laughs> Sitting here, I've got 20p. I'm just like stressing <laughs> don't out. Feel about the, yeah, yeah. things, don't
1: feel very powerful. Yeah, only things.
0: Don't feel very powerful. But now I get it. Yeah, and I am yeah. powerful, and yeah. I love it. Yeah, and I love to feel that way, and to understand that assertion and authority are not aggression. To understand that as a woman, you can embrace that power Mm. socially Mm. and actually feel good in it and I think it's difficult for women to hold that close Mm. and to feel that authority and to feel that position in the world
1: welcome back to where's home really with me Jimmy Famarewa today I'm talking to chef and presenter the amazing Andy Oliver hello Hello. Let's talk about your person. Everything I know about you, you've cultivated these almost like ragtag collectives of you know. <laughs> I've seen you talk about Christmas having multiple waifs oh. and strays, and yeah, yes. you know you've had this open house kind of um, policy throughout the various places that you've lived. Mm-hmm. Um, who are you going to go for as your I'm the gonna person go that for really? Nana, yeah, Cherry.
0: Yeah, because she's my sister in. Mm. Like, forever. Mm. She was just 17 when we met, and yeah. I was 18. Yeah. So we were teenagers. <laughs> uh, we met, my brother had had a car crash, and he was in hospital, and he had his leg in traction. They mm. used to put you in traction. Mm. He was there for ages. And I came down, and Nana used to go and read to him every mm. day from this African Bible that she had. Oh, well, wow. It had all these stories, in. she used to go and read to him. And he had sickle cell <laughs> anemia too, yeah. my brother. And I walked into the room... And she was sitting next to the bed. And I remember what she had on. She had this like little head tie on. She'd just come back from Sierra Leone. Mm. And this like blue, like little wrapper thing, Lapa. (laughs) And Sean was like, this is Andy. And I said, oh my God, are you Nana?" Because he'd been telling us about each other all the time.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And we were like, hi. And it it was like, oh my God. It was like love at first sight for both of us. He knew intuitively that we needed each other. Mm. And so she grew up in Sweden in the South. Mm. as well as New York. and But she and I had had similar experiences Mm. about being the only black girl. Mm. And we just recognised each other immediately. And this is how long ago it was. It was in UCH Hospital. We went in the hallway. And oddly, I don't even smoke, had a fag (laughs) in the hallway and then came back in literally talked to each other for half an hour, came back in and we said, we're going to sing together. And about two months later, we were on the road together. I wasn't even a singer. She was already making music, but I hadn't done any music. We just said, well, let's sing together. And then I think about two weeks later, the Slits were playing at a a venue that was called uh, The Venue. Mm. And at the end of the gig, Nana looked down and saw me and pulled me onto the stage. (laughs) And we were just, we went into this dervish, dancing, (laughs) mad thing. And then Gareth said to me, do you want to come on tour?
1: Wow. and And that was the beginning that's how I started
0: (laughs) singing (laughs) literally there's never been a plan
1: yeah yeah but what it says to me is that there was something in you that as much as we're talking about Pigeon Point and the Caribbean the Antiguan side of you being really defining and shaping you there's this other component yeah. that is kind of like Proper punk and British and yeah. have they ebbed and flowed in terms of like what's dominated like I, in the kind of mix of who you are like I how think is that? so how is I mean that?
0: the thing that drew me to punk I realised is that it was it was always about not having to be one thing mm. you could do whatever mm. you wanted and be whoever you wanted and for me it, there was always a kind of clash for myself in that, you know, I would come down to London and be with black kids in London and they thought I was weird. Yeah. yeah. And then I was in Berry, and they were like, you know, go home back to where you come Mm, from. And I just was was very like, why are you all telling me to be the opposite of who I am? I don't know what you mean. I don't know who you want me to be. And it was always really confusing and really upsetting. I never felt like I fitted in anywhere. And then Punk happened and they went, excellent. Mm. Do wear those shoes on your head if you feel like it. The first thing I ever wore on stage was my mum's bedroom curtain and I just wrapped it around myself and stuck a pin in it it was a nice curtain it was a very nice curtain it was like a damask burgundy with a kind of gold inlay I mean it was a good curtain
1: did your mum know that you'd taken it I just it?
0: took it down I don't know she, she she was left with one she must have missed it I'll
1: I am just picturing the scene your mum sort of toddling Going, over to drill the curtains and curtain? like, yeah, <laughs> cut to you on stage I just
0: I loved that there were no rules. And meeting Nana, she had grown up in this very freewheeling family. Mm. Like her mother was this extraordinary artist, Moki Cherry. Her Mm. dad was the very famous trumpet player, Don Cherry. Moki's incredibly famous and well-known now as well. Mm. Just Mm. extraordinary Mm. woman, unbelievably inspiring, brilliant woman, and her dad, Don, just like Merlin, you know. Mm. And I, Nana drew me into her world Mm. very quickly, and we drew into into each other's world, but I learnt the art of being free Mm. from Nana. Mm. She taught me that I could be whoever I wanted to Mm. be. You know, we used Mm. to wear these like massive kind of gowns, flowing gowns, and then we would tuck the the up into our knickers (laughs) and take our shoes off and just dance (laughs) and then cook. And that was our world, you know, sing, dance, cook, repeat. That's what we did all the time. And that gift that nana gave me is one of the most precious things Mm. anybody has ever given yeah everybody needs to be seen Mm. and we saw each other
2: yeah and we
0: still do she came to see me the other day and we don't get that much time yeah on our own you know yeah it's like and it's funny because people when we're together people want to be around us
2: right and that's
0: a lovely thing
2: yeah
0: but sometimes we're like can you just (laughs) go away yeah (laughs)
1: speaking of sofas and kind of family and people around you obviously celebrity goggle box <laughs> and you and Makita uh, are now this kind of even more so this dynamic duo now um and you've got the podcast which is incredible I was telling you Very off mic cute. that it's 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 such a such a good listen it, it fascinates me this because I think obviously you've worked together in varying forms like the incredible show that you did in the caribbean Makeda. i think i might have messaged you like separate you to that. did the things that you and makita were talking about and a lot of similar to the things we we're talking about today mm-hmm. about this feeling of not belonging feeling that connection makita was talking about her own journey with with you know her blackness with mm-hmm. her heritage and um how she's come to kind of reconnect and embrace it What has it been like, first of all, working together in such a kind of concentrated way, like the reality of it—is it? Do you have to just be like, okay, we let it all hang out, we show it all? Yes. Right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, I mean, I'm a, we're both like that kind of anyway. Yeah. Because I just, I think the truth works. The truth matters. Mm. But the truth also works because you're not trying to kind of keep up with some stupid lie that you've yeah. perpetrated or, yeah. or, 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 or some facade. Mm. I'm, it's too tiring, all yeah. of that stuff. Yeah. And certainly for Makita and I, we got, we're we so, so I had it when I was 20 and I was on my mm. own till she was about 10 or 11. Then I met Garfield, my partner, he's yeah. still my partner. And I think that those 10 years of us just being, like, Mm. just me and her. She said to me the other day, quite recently, you know, we're a team. Yeah. We've always been a team. And so... It's just us being mm. ourselves. We mm. make each other laugh because we know each other so well. She's like, and you know, I hate it when parents go, she's my best friend. Because <laughs> they're not meant to be your best friends.
1: Yes. Well, yeah, I was going to say, you know. I'm the mother. Yeah. She's got
0: her own friends. Yeah, I've yeah. got my own yeah. friends. But she's clearly a cornerstone in yeah, my life. Yeah. And obviously one of the most important human beings in that life, yeah. in my life.
1: What ways does that relationship differ from you know, the environment that you grew up in, the house that you grew up mm. in, the the parenting that you were kind of, um, well, that, that you were shaped by, because I always find this fascinating th- and, th- you know, it comes I think down to that. what's
0: quite interesting is that, I think for my certainly my parents and my parents' generation, there was a, there's a gap between understanding the other person's life. Mm, um, mm. I understand Makita's life because mm. I, you know, when Have Makita... Have you always
1: understood it? Yes.
0: Mm. So when they started going out, mm. when they were way too young to be going out, 14 <laughs> or whatever they were, probably even younger. You know, she would go to a club that I used to go to because half of <laughs> them were still there. She'd yeah. go and met some guy called, you know, da 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 and I'd go, is that guy still trawling about <laughs> trying to talk to young girls. Tell him your mother said stay away from the kids.
1: Yeah. Or her and yeah. their niece I remember to, that line, yeah.
0: They used to use my name or Nana's name or Tessa's name, like some of the aunties' mm. names, to repel weird dudes. Right. Do you know what I mean? They'd go, they'd, guys go, hi, how are you doing, girls? Yeah, and they'd go, yeah. I'm Andy's daughter. And they'd go, oh! <laughs> and... <laughs> just like sorry about that we'll see you later it's like you know because the same stuff was going on I Mm. was a teenager in London older Mm. but I was out partying running parties DJing doing stuff doing all the things that they were doing so I knew what was happening Mm. in their world and Mm. what was happening in their life so there wasn't that kind of chasm of experience obviously it was different because generationally it's a bit different but Mm. I knew what I you know yeah, I'm awake. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know of what's course. going on. So, so I think that So I that guess it was a was lot different.
1: more honest rather than like. A lot like more honest with with a lot of, and I think this is especially true of like. Diaspora kids and second generation kids, that there's this there's the person you are at home, yeah. and then there's the person you yeah. are sort of out in the streets yeah. and out in the world. And it's definitely true of me that there was a kind of, you know, we're too busy, don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. Like, yes. you know, don't you're ask, kind of. Don't yeah, tell yeah, policy, yeah. absolutely.
0: With me, it was like I knew too much. I'm kind of quite annoying for them mm. in lots of ways. Mm. Now, one time, my, my niece was on the corner of Westbourne Grove trying to have a fag, trying to be like a grown up in the street. And my mate said he went up to hinder and just took the cigarette out of her hand, didn't even say anything to her, put it out and kept walking. How annoying is that, right? Yeah. So there was a lot of crossover, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm grateful for it because it just meant I had a third eye yeah. into that teenage world, yeah. which you kind of always want to have and you kind of almost need to yeah. have in so yeah. many ways. I think it also makes things a bit difficult because they can't circumnavigate you mm. so easily. You know, when you're a teenager, what you want to do a lot of the time is circumnavigate yes. your parents. just yeah, like, yeah, get yeah, out of course. the way and yeah, you I'm, yeah, yeah. If I'm going, where are you going? Where are you going? I know what's in that bag. What's in that bag? Open the bag. Open the bag. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. Um, and our house was always the open house, like you yeah. said. But all the kids. I'd rather have the kids at my house. Yeah. And I know what's going on yeah, yeah. than have them around some weird guy, you know, yeah, some weird yeah, house, yeah, which I yeah. used to do with yeah, my mates. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. so
1: that knowledge of that particular path meant that you were able to be like, look, just come and hang out here. Just come out
0: back. and hang out yeah. here. Yeah. And yeah, I would course, rather have yeah. twelve kids, teenagers, <laughs> round mine, so I know where they are, you know. Yeah. So that's what her childhood was yeah. like, really.
1: You mentioned cheese toasty. Yeah. Uh food has just been a constant throughout our conversation. So let's talk about your plate um you know i imagine it's quite tough because how do you pin it down to to one One thing or one dish
0: so i've chosen oxtail braised Mm. oxtail and rice and peas and plantain and a really good crisp lemony salad because that's just like a (laughs) dream dish but i have to expand on that because what that is is one example of soul food yeah of And and in Sweden, they call it kost or La Cucina Povera. Mm. I call it poor people food. It's like food that comes from invention. Mm. Food that is made by people who didn't have anything. That magical element
2: Mm. where
0: you get, I mean, it's a tale. (laughs) Mm,
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's
0: one of the most delicious, incredible things in the world to me. Oxtail, when it's cooked right, I love it. And from any Um, culture, uh, actually, like, you know, Italian oxtail is incredible. Joe, who does my nails, was saying, Oh, my mum makes an oxtail noodle broth. Mm, So, any food that comes from that kind Mm. of tradition Mm. is my. Heart, yeah, I love it so yeah. much. And then the other thing I wanted to say is gravy.
1: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah, I am, just as an umbrella category, just, just give gravy. me the gravy, yeah, yeah, okay?
0: Yeah. Don't yeah. bring me dry food because I don't like it. <laughs> gravy. It's Mm. like a kind of love language gravy Mm. to me. It's the kind of extra bit that you give. It's like the silkiness of it, the the roundness of it, the depth of flavour. You know, in really fancy kitchens, there's a whole bit where they just make sauces. (laughs) That's what you do. What are you? I'm the saucier. That's my job. I just stand here and I make gravy. I'm like, you a rock. And also, I do really feel... So, you know, the high-end oat cuisine stuff that Mm. we're talking about is beautiful. And Mm. there's an incredible skill and... it takes years to learn how to cook like that. But I don't think it's more important mm. than braised oxtail and yeah. rice and peas. It's not more skillful either. Yeah, it's a different yeah, skill yeah. and it's a different level of beauty and it's a different thing. Yeah. Because we have not codified, most most mm-hmm. poor people food has not been codified. Nobody sat down and went, this is the way mm. you make an oxtail gravy and it has to be this way. Mm. Then, it, So it has not revered in the same way. And the skill that it takes to learn how to really put on a puck <laughs> and make that pot work. You know, it takes years. It's taken yeah. me years to do, to do a yeah, good ox- yeah, yeah. raised oxtail. Yeah, yeah. I've nailed yeah. it now, but it took me a long time yeah. to learn how to do it because yeah. um, you have to learn from watching because nobody will tell you either. They lie. <laughs> yeah. So you have to watch and pick up the secrets and try a little bit. Run, mm, run, too in, much run in
1: surveillance. You know what I mean? <laughs> Hiding in an airing cupboard. Yeah, All of
0: that yeah, stuff. Yeah. So I, I, I. To me, it's just as beautiful, just as valuable, just as precious, just as desirable mm. as you know an incredible booyah base, which is of course put poor, poor mm. people food anyway. But something like that.
1: What are the things for you that you really think of as the ways in which Caribbean culture has has? shaped the UK and the wider world?
0: That's a really amazing question, actually, Jimmy, because I think that it starts at such a kind of base root Mm. level, you Mm. know, but I think music... Mm. And our food Mm. less outside of the home. Food needs to be more outside of the home because the the still in culinary sense, I think it needs to be impacted more because people think Caribbean food is one thing. They call it Jamaican food to start right. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: Absolutely bananas, (laughs) as you can imagine, in terms of music and style Mm, and approach to living mm, I think especially for my generation like I meet people you know we come from this beautiful I think one of the jewels in the British crown is our multiculturalism. Mm. You don't find it anywhere in the world. Nobody does it like we do it here, especially in the cities. We've got this incredible melting pot of people who are influenced by each other, who take from each other, which I think is really, really important that we're allowed to take from each other's cuisines, from style, from all of those things. You know, we have this modern thing about cultural appropriation. I think it's a very complicated thing, cultural Mm. appropriation, Mm. because... We do appropriate from each mm. other. It's, of course, we do. We all live together. You grow up. Like you remember when everybody gave um, Adele a really hard time when she had her hair in little knots. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, And
0: it was like the girl grew up in Tottenham. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Dude yeah. all her yeah. mates
0: look like that? Yeah. Goes, Why can't she leave her hair? Leave yeah. her alone. Yeah. Let her do yeah. what she wants to do to <laughs> her hair. My yeah. God,
1: it's complicated and it's complex. This this interchange and the different things that we're shaped by. Yeah. Right. The
0: whole thing about Jamie and Jet Rice and they wanted me to go on the news and talk. I was like, I'm not going to go on the news and yeah. talk about right. Don't yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leave the man alone. And then I realised, I thought, why is it a problem, that? Because it was a bit irritating. I thought, why is it irritating? Mm. I thought it's irritating because it means he doesn't understand what jerk is.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jerk is
0: not a spice. Yeah. Jerk is a cooking method. Yeah. And yeah. it's a spice. Yeah. And the cooking method came about because enslaved Africans were hiding from soldiers mm. up in the mountains the in Jamaica, the Maroons, mm. up with the Maroons, and they covered the food so they couldn't see the smoke. And that's why the food is smoky, mm. that's why it's cooked that way. So there's a story to it, there's a history to mm. it, and it's important. Yeah. So you yeah. can't jerk rice. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not a thing you can yeah, do because yeah. it's not seasoned. So it meant that he didn't fully understand yeah. what jerk was, and that's why it was annoying to mm.
1: people. Not mm.
0: because he wasn't Caribbean.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? It's like,
0: if we would understood the entire picture of it, I just feel like we all borrow from each other. I don't think Mm. it's helpful to shut other people down. I don't think it's the way forward. If there's an issue, talk to them. And that way we elucidate, we explore, we have growth. I make bangs and mash all the time. Because yeah. I like bangers and mash. <laughs> they don't make bangers and mash in the Caribbean, but it doesn't matter because I'm yeah, also yeah, yeah. English. It's, you I'm don't, also British. Yeah,
1: you, don't, you don't love it any less. It doesn't I mean I don't any love less. it any less. All of this, I couldn't agree more. Um, as with so many things you've said, um, <laughs> it has been my pleasure to to understand a little bit more of where and how you make your home, and you've built up this wonderful person that you are. Thank you. Um, I look forward to seeing you saw and to uh, actually meeting more now. now yeah, you, that, do you want yeah. to come over? Yes, I'm come coming. Over. I'm coming. Come on the
0: podcast. Come on my podcast. And then I'll feed you. And then there will be a heaving table. To
1: be continued. To be
0: continued.
1: Andy Oliver, thank you so much.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Amazing. That was so much fun. It was just so interesting and so fascinating. The layers to who Andy is. She's so spirited, so smart And so open to kind of new experiences, new ways of thinking and so kind of rule averse that you just can't help but feel like uplifted to like be in her presence. So that is it for another episode of Where's Home Really? Please join me next time for more stories about family and culture, food and belonging. And we'd love you to follow Where's Home Really on your favourite podcast platform. It's always great to hear your thoughts, so do leave us a comment or a review. Like Penny, who wrote a wonderful podcast, I love the way I am transported into the home of each guest. I feel so warm and fuzzy when I hear the perspectives of family life. Please, please keep these coming. Uh, I promise that isn't my mum under a pseudonym, but Penny, we absolutely are. Um, You've got a whole new series to enjoy, so stay tuned for a whole host of brilliant new guests coming up, dropping into your feed every Thursday morning. From Podimo and Listen, this has been Where's Home Really, hosted by me, Jimmy Famarewa. The producers are Tayo Popula and Aidan Judd. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudnow and Matt White. And for Listen is Kelly Redmond. Until next time.